Alright ladies and gentlemen, I usually use this time to talk about something that is completely fresh on my mind um, as I jump into the pod, um, but unfortunately it's a sad one of the recent news of the death of US world-class sprinter Tory Bowie, RIP, and in the words public enemies Chuck D, bring the noise. FM Podcast Network. I am Charlie Taylor. And this is what's good. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you've all had a good week in the circumstances. Yeah, it's just one of those, you know. Man. Just one of those. Came through today and uh, it was kind of kind of a helter skelter in terms of um, you know, notification of it. Um there was uh, like a cup like a I think a Instagram post re- reported it first and I was and people were just like, you know. Is this true? Question marks, question marks, but it, re- it got confirmed uh, relatively quickly. Um, so yeah, once again, condolences um, to all related to the Tory to Tory Bow. Really, one of the best um, US sprinters of recent memory. Um, uh, really came out kind of after like London 2012-ish time. I think at that point she was just like I think uh, if I remember correctly, NCAA champion at that point. In some fashion, um, but yeah, after that, kind of just uh, hit the ground running, literally, and um, was uh, yeah, multiple uh, world champion, Olympic medalist. Um, yeah, she kind of did all, um, mainly hundred meters, two hundred meters. I think she did a long jump as well, um, a little bit. Dabbled in that. So yeah, she was just an overall um, baller in, in in a lot of ways. And uh, was the best that um, US the US had in terms of um, female sprinters for a good while there, um, to say from about 2014, 15 to maybe 2018. I think she was kind of like the best they had at that point in those four years stretch, three, four years stretch, which is, you know, in terms of athletics and track and field is decent um to you know to say that you're the best in the u.s especially obviously because you know u.s is so talented always and talent pool is so deep to say you're the best in the u.s for even a couple of years is you know something to be proud of um and the fact she did it um for you know a good three four years um is all the more commendable um but yeah it's unfortunate um lost a really good um high class world-class sprinter there but anyway uh moving on we have a regular show. I'm not going to do a long read this week. Um, I kind of, <laughs> I got the experimentation out of my system um, after just, uh, just it's, it's, I, I try, I don't know if you guys realise, but I try and read long reads, di- excuse me, differently. Um, sorry, it's just Ian. And um, yeah, it's it's kind of a, I, ha- I kind of want to read it in a very, you know, traditional way, um, audiobooky kind of way, and not, you know, obviously, you know, stop and give a tangent on certain things and not be so, you know, commentariat kind of vibe and just read the fucking thing. And that's partly because the thing is so fucking long all the time and you kind of don't have time to, um, I don't have time to uh, break it down and stuff like that. And I don't want to just like, you know, break into the time and actually, you know, end up having a, 80 minute pod um yeah you know it, i just i just kind of want to get it going but it's so it's so kind of hard to do that in some ways like i i allow myself to be more casual and relaxed when reading a, just a regular article um but when it comes to a long read i want to get pretty much everything right so if i just um you know if i say something in a weird way i don't stop i I just stop the recording, I delete it, and I start. I start that bit again. I start that little passage again. And you know, when I was ill, past um, like a couple of weeks ago, doing I think like the first long read or the second one, I was just I was just stopping and starting constantly, and it was just oh, it was just horrible, wasn't it? it just wasn't it? Loki wasn't enjoyable to do, but um, you know, we got there in the end, and uh, came out fine. Um, but yeah. I'm um, gonna do a regular show. I might bring it. Might bring it back. Who knows? Um, we'll see. I say that with a lot of things, so never say never. Um, but 
yeah, regular show for this one. Um, we're going to keep moving on this one. We have a music, TV, politics, and tech. Very traditional, um, in love ways. And uh, yeah, so let's jump right in. But before we do that, before my thesis, before we begin, email, socials, writing, all of that, all that, all of that in the full show notes. Uh, also music and also podcasts under the 5 EPN. And with that said, let the music drop and let's get into the show. how I bottled it already I said I said let the music drop I usually say let the beat drop see that's that's what happens I just I just let it go you know what I mean I can't be asked to re-record that a little bit you know what I mean it's just you know what I'm talking about <laughs> anyway in a week where Jerry Springer dies age 79 apparently born in Britain who knew who knew he was a psyop all along and he was mayor of Chicago I think or something like that mayor or something he was like a US mayor um a city mayor uh, before he did all the Jerry Springer stuff, Jerry Springer show, which I did not know. Um, so, yeah, what a blow. There you go, some bath for you. Uh, massive fire erupted at oil depot in the Crimean Peninsula over the weekend. Um, and I could have literally replaced that with um, which news that just dropped um, in the past hour or so as I record that um, uh, apparently there was a drone or two that were that, that, I don't know, crashed into the Kremlin or f- threatened to bomb the Kremlin or something like that and and now Russia's going as as because you know all countries governments base when it when it comes to geopolitics governments especially powerful ones act like um pissy 14 year olds teenagers um, so they obviously went, okay, now we can do whatever we want and we're not going to tell you when and how we're going to do it. And it's just like, bro, you literally started a war last year. <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? Um, all fair in love and war, right? No? Okay. So you want to be a pissy teenager about it? It's funny. But anyway, uh, Super Mario Brothers movie passes 1 billion at the global box office. And, you know, I haven't seen it, but let's be real. It could be complete garbage and that would have happened. It's it's Mario. It's, it's, it's going to happen. Uh, Writers Guild of America go on strike after failing to reach new conversation deal with TV and film producers. Um, as Of course, as a writer, I'm not actually a member of the Writers Guild of Great Britain yet. Um, but uh, yeah, obviously, with all <laughs> with obvious... Uh, if you if you've listened to this pod, you know I'm kind of into uh, people getting their money. Um, so yeah, obviously uh, I support all of that and hope. Um, and I can't wait to see what TV shows try and do. Um, late night shows have have basically just been cancelled because obviously the writers and uh, SNL and stuff like that. So um, yeah, those are gone for the meantime. Um, I'm looking forward to. Um, how the scripted shows are going to go um, because I don't know if you guys have, were aware of the writer's strike over a decade ago, I think it was like 2007 I think or something like that just before 2000, before the 2010s, late late noughties and um, if you were a fan of you know some shows back then like uh, I don't know, Friday Night Lights to throw, throw one out there you know when the quality dipped. Um, it's it's very noticeable uh, when you see certain shows back then. And I'm wondering how it's going to work for this one. Um, <clears throat> it's going to be it's going to be incredibly interesting. I look forward to it. And uh, Labour is set to abandon its promise to scrap university tuition fees in England. They did mention other stuff. I will say in full disclosure, um, but that one just um, yeah. Tory light. <sighs> I Tory Mini, you know what I mean? Pound saver menu, the Tory cheeseburger for one twenty nine. Speaking of politics, let's jump right into this politics uh, bit I've got. So last week, um, Rishi Sunak thought it was a great idea um, to basically dap up um, the fresh face in fascism uh, of the recent years. Uh, Italian PM Giorgio Maloney, and um, if you ha- if you're unaware of um, Giorgio Maloney, 
um, they literally, I don't know if she um, descri- subscribes to it, um, but literally people have referred to her in the same breath as Mussolini. Um, so, yeah, there's that. Um, so, yeah, I found this article. This is by Adam Biankov by Byline Times called Rishi Sunak's new far-right ally and the international authoritarian elite. And this ain't even the, and this ain't even, uh, this ain't even the, uh, one, the only one I could talk about. I could talk about the fact that, um, uh, who was it? Ron DeSantis, um, was gassing up Kim, uh, Kemi Badnock. Um, I don't know if we were in the same place together, but he was just gassing her up for whatever reason. And I'm just like, what are we doing here? Is this, is this it? Is this what we're doing? We're literally just, the uh, Tories literally just far right now. Like, is that what we're doing now? It's, it's crazy. It's crazy. And and Labour's going to win regardless, right? Um, I say that, but, you know, there's always a chance. I mean, local elections are literally, um, well, today, as the episode drops, Thursday the 4th of May, um, so if you're in the, if you're in uh, the local election jurisdiction here in the UK, or England, I forget, or England and Wales, I forget the jurisdiction, please go vote. Um, you will need ID, unfortunately, um, but I should have, Guessed it. I should have gassed up postal voting, um, which I did, um, and you don't need ID for, and you can apply for very easily. Um, but um, next time, next time for the general election, hopefully I'll get more more of you to do the postal voting. But let's jump right into this because this is interesting, in the worst way. This week, Rishi Sunak welcomed Italy's far right Prime Minister Georgia Maloney um, to Downing Street. They spelled Georgia wrong. In a gushing joint appearance, uh, Sunak praised Maloney's stance on migration. Just immediately, just immediately starting with just scary shit, saying that quote, the values between our two countries are very aligned. Unquote. Maloney agreed, telling Sunak that another quote on many topics we are on the same side. Oh my gosh, this is scary. There is much truth to this. On migration, Maloney has warned that Italians are victims of an ethnic replacement by waves of migrants who she has branded criminals and rapists. She is also, which is very Trumpian, must say, uh, she has also warned uh, that this replacement, quote-unquote, is being masterminded by a shadowy, stateless, and rootless foreign elite, while slinging out the international, uh, singling out, sorry, the international Jewish businessman George Soros for criticism, because, of course, you know, just a... The, the eternal lightning rod that is George Soros. I literally have no idea who the fuck he is. That's the crazy thing. They just keep mentioning his name. It's, it's very funny. Very amusing. Um, but I probably should know who he is, right? But maybe not. Who cares? I I don't rate billion. I don't follow billionaires. I try not to. Um, it's not my it's not my thing. Uh, soon next government has also sought to make political capital over public fears about migration. <sighs> St- but i.e. stoking public fears um, and making a moral panic about migration when it's not that deep. Um, but then again, the numbers have risen and they can't control it, which is very funny uh, to me in some ways. Very morbidly funny, I'd just say, because people still die from doing these things. Um, but um, there was actually, fun fact, um, there was actually a little little covered um, little, little factoid I saw last week um, where the government actually deported a hundred um, Nepalese, uh, I think like soldiers. I forget the de- de- uh, denomination they were given, uh, but basically, ten hundred Nepalese dudes, um, people um, who were actually um, uh, guarding uh, and helping uh, Afga- uh, British uh, embassy members flee Afghanistan. Um, and then they actually got a six-month visa already locked in, but yet the government just slung them out anyway. So do with that information what you will. That's um, I'm paraphrasing a lot of that, but that's basically the gist of what happened. Anyway, in recent weeks, his government has made a series of uh, unsubstantiated claims about migrants and crime, while warning uh, that both those coming to the UK and certain ethnic groups already living here do not share our values. That's great. That's great. Single out ethnic um ethnic groups um in britain that are already here yeah do that that'll, that'll help that'll, that'll, that won't stoke um race wars or anything at the front line of these attempts is home secretary suella braveman of course 
who has previously warned of migrant invasion and prompted the anti-Semitic conspiracy of cultural Marxism, which suggests the shadowy rulers elites are pushing a program of progressive politics designed to undermine Western democracies. The funny thing is, those shadowy rootless elites are, are investing in the Tory party. That's the funny thing about all this. That's so funny to me. Hilarious. Indeed, in some respects, the UK's values on migration are even further to the right than Italy's. Wow, interesting. <laughs> Fascinating, did not know that. Sunak's current plans to automatic, automatically detain anyone arriving in the UK by boat and deport them to human rights abusing nation of Rwanda are beyond the wildest dreams of Maloney and her fascist colleagues. Oh, they'll, oh, oh, they'll get there. I'm trying to be like, you big man. That's basically what they're saying, isn't it? On other cultural issues... The two leaders are broadly aligned. Maloney, who describes herself as a Christian mother, has restricted them the rights of same-sex parents in Italy, while warning, warning that gender ideology is a threat to women. <sighs> During, <laughs> just, I have to just sigh for a lot of this. During this leadership campaign, uh, his leadership campaign last year, Sunak took a similar stance, promising that he would fight the... <laughs> I love this quote. Quote, lefty woke culture that is trying to cancel our history our values, and indeed, our women, unquote. He has since gone on to block additional rights for trans people while accusing Labour leader Keir Starmer this week of not knowing what a woman is. Okay, asked by Byline Times, I really want to just tackle that, but I'd just rather not for time. Asked by Byline Times whether whether such rhetoric may contribute to the demonisation of trans people in the UK, as one Conservative MP warned about this week, soon exposed person replied that his comments were Simply a statement of fact. Continuing on. We have a lot to get to, ladies and gentlemen. Can't get to, can't, can't hop on everything. Obviously, warm encounter between the two leaders stands in stark contrast to the much more awkward recent meeting between Sunak and US President Joe Biden. See, see, this is the thing. This is the thing. Joe Biden isn't even that left. He isn't even that left. He, he isn't even that left. And the fact that they're encounter was awkward <laughs> fucking makes me it's fucking hilarious what are we doing what is ay ay it's just fucking just this whole this whole government and this country is just fucking devolving um there's some this is something that, they're making america look left america where people die from gun deaths <laughs> i fucking done said fucking day a mass murder pretty much every day what are we doing? More left than that. They're looking more left. That's crazy. Looking, I'll say, is carrying a lot of weight there. This is something that appears to have been noticed by British, uh, by Sunak's British media supporters too. When Biden recently visited Ireland, he was met by a wave of com- sorry, dropped a coin, uh, wave of condemnation uh, by those uh, British newspapers that support Sunak's administration. Papers include the Daily Mail. Uh, Telegraph accused the US president of showing disdain for Britain and its values. By contrast, Maloney has been welcomed almost as one of our own. In a piece for the Telegraph this week, the Spectator's editor Fraser Nelson described the Italian Prime Minister as a no way. As a moderate, who merely has, quote, a ruder, more direct style of speaking than other leaders. What are we doing? What are we doing? Seriously, is that what we're, is that the game we're playing? All right. While well, urging people to stop referring to her as far right, okay. Well, maybe until she stops doing far saying far right shit. There you go. How, how about that? I love, I love. Oh God. Oh, I need to find a long read about British media. I really do, because the whole thing's just to shit. Um, but for now, I'll I'll recommend the uh, Navara downstream. Uh, episode with uh, Ash Sarkar and Aaron Bastani where they talk about the media. Um, just type up Navara, Navara down, Navara media downstream media. It should come up. It's about an hour long. It's very, very enticing. It's a very good to watch. Uh, while urging Pitt, yeah, yeah, stop right, far right. Nelson added that fascist, her fascist associations may actually help her. Of course they will. Quote, Italians exasperated at the state of their country want to protest vote and being attacked as a closet fascist will help burnish her rebel credentials. He wrote, adding that Sunak could similarly benefit from his own government's anti-migrant rhetoric. Quote, Sunak knows his own weakness, but he can come across 
as someone trying to sell you a timeshare. So he needs to balance his managerialism with some controlled explosions, Nelson wrote. What is he talking about? This is unhinged. While it is true that Sunak's centrist personal image does not align with the fact that he is pushing a far more socially right-wing and authoritarian agenda than any of his recent predecessors, it is also true that the effect of the explosions, quote-unquote, encouraged by Nelson cannot always be carefully controlled. Whether it's a migrant beaten to death on an Italian street or refugees firebombed in the UK, the sort of re- the sort of rhetoric and policies perceived by Sunak and his new ally have direct human consequences. When political leaders compete to push the most anti-migrant and anti-LGBT policies possible, are trading in the sorts of rhetoric previously reserved as a reserved to a far right fringe. It is migrants themselves and other marginalized groups who pay the heaviest price. Unfortunately, it is a price that this new axis of leaders and their cheerleaders do not appear to spend much time worrying about. And that's what's so depressing about this. Like, how do you have the 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 attitude, the the chest to to hop on another newspaper? He edits he edits a the Spectator, which is legendarily right, and hops on another right newspaper in the Telegraph to say all this shit. People are dying, geese. What the fuck are you talking about? This is why British media is so fucking shite. It's actually depressing. This is why I kind of just... I And funny enough, we're going to get to it in a bit, but... um. I only re- I only rely on stuff like the Guardian these days to to just give me you know culture related stuff so film music stuff like that um, the arts basically because they do good reporting on the arts I feel for for politics and any of that I just I don't know man I just I just can't it do- it doesn't sit right with me anymore it just doesn't um, and and that's the Guardian that's something you know I have the app. <laughs> I have the Guardian app. You know what I mean? That doesn't mean much, but I have the app, but I don't have any other news app apart from Google News. So, you know, that says something about me, right? But the fucking hell, man. Yeah, just, well, that, that whole thing was just um, outstanding. Just And it says a lot. I think it says a lot. Um, the fact that this so pally, so pally is really harrowing. And, hey, man, I can shit on David Cameron for fucking years. Um, and I have been. Fuck David Cameron, he should be in jail. But, um, hey man, <laughs> at least I can see him dapping up Georgia Maloney. At least I can see that. But then again, who knows? Maybe maybe, maybe he dapped someone else up um, in 2011 that I just don't know about. So who knows, man? Just a Tory party. Just, um, yeah, just uh, continue, continue to go down the road of, uh, of demonic behaviour. So hop into tech and uh, I'm going to read something that is, I try not to read these kind of articles where it's um, an article from one publication talking about basically taking quotes from an interview from another publication and then basically just, you know, adding filler. Um, I try not to, partly because um, I used to do that shit um, when I used to write um, basketball articles literally around this time 10 years ago. And I hated it. And I don't read them. I I feel like if you're just going to read it, read the interview itself. Um, but for the sake of time, I'm going to get into. Do, I'm gonna I'm gonna cut off my um my uh, break my rule just once, um, just for the sake of time, because I want to get more into detail with the other things I want to talk about. Um, but this is one that just caught me, and I thought, why not? Um, because I mean, we, we <laughs> there's there's plenty of articles of this nature. Um, but obviously this just means, by the title of this article, it means a little bit more, I guess, or just um, rings a little rings a little more thick um, because of the person uh, involved. Um, so this is uh, Find the Independent uh, by Andrew Griffin and Graham Massey. It's called The Godf- Godfather of AI Quits Google and Gives Warning About the Future of Technology. So, yeah, let's jump right in. Uh, Jeffrey Hinton. 
known as the godfather of AI, has quit Google with a warning about the dangers the technology possess, uh, poses, which, again, we can find plenty of articles about this, about the threat of AI. Um, industry talks about it on Digging Digits this week, um, about AI specifically in music. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, you know, it's, it's there's plenty of ways you could talk about it. I was actually talking about yesterday with a few um, film friends and how... You know, and if if when AI is going to be a threat to people like me as screenwriter, um, is interesting to think about. And even my dad actually uh, uh, threw threw it up to me as a conversation. He was like, "Have you, have you tried ChatGPT yet?" And I'm just like, uh, "I know about it. I'm very acutely aware of it. I haven't tried it myself." Um, and he was like, "Yeah, I've been using it. You know, so it's it's it's, uh, it's interesting. It's decent. Uh, you have to be very specific with stuff." And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." Anyway. Jeffrey Anton worked at Google for more than a decade and developed the techno- developed technology that paved the way for current AI systems such as ChatGPT. However, the tech expert has since quit the company so that he could sound the alarm about the dangers of artificial intelligence. He told the New York Times, again, see, just read the New York Times article, right? Anyway, uh, that he regrets the work he contributed to the field. Quote, I console myself with the normal excuse. If I hadn't done it, somebody else would have, he said. In the short term, he fears technology will mean that people will, quote, not be able to know what is true anymore, unquote, because of the proliferation of fake images, videos, and text, he said. But in the future, AR systems can eventually learn unexpected, dangerous behavior, and that such systems will eventually power, eventually power killer robots. He also warned that technology could cause harmful disruption to the labor market. All it takes, all, it, all it's going to take is for one person to get killed from something AI based. Guarantee that's all it's but then again, capitalism, right? It's gonna keep going on. Capitalism's gonna uh, everybody with money in the game is going to pass it off as something. This I'm I'm predict I'm sorry, I'm predicting the future here. I'm sorry. I'm predicting the fuck Charlie Dharma's in the building right now, okay? Listen heed my words. Someone's going to die from something AI related, okay, whether it's an AI robot that chokes someone to death or whatever, something of that nature, or even a text chat bot um, is going to be honest, uh, is going to just be demonic and just like, you know, force, not force someone, but, um, you know, uh, gas someone up to commit suicide, something of this, something of that nature, right, someone's just going to be dead uh, with their head on the keyboard um, and their, and their, the significant other's going to come in and chat GPT is literally just saying, do it, do it, do it. Take, get some pills and do it. Something like that, right? Just some mad unhinged shit. One of those scenarios, right? You can think of one. That's going to happen. And what's going to happen afterwards? Everyone's going to go, no, we shouldn't do this AI shit. It's going to be all the articles in the whole world, all the long reads, all the reportage, reportage about it, right? All of it's going to happen. And do you know what's going to happen after that? Fuck all. Fuck all, because companies, tech companies, have skin in the fucking game. They have skin and are tons of billions of dollars into it at that point, okay? That's what's going to happen. They're going to continue developing. They're going to they're gonna say, oh, it's okay. Uh, you know, we've, we're making, we're going to make countermeasures. This is what they do. This is exactly what they do. This has happened with social media. That's why social media is still a thing, Okay. We know social media is bad for all our health. Health? 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 I don't know. You know what I mean. Plural. Uh, all our health. And we still do it. We still participate in it. People still watch TikToks. I was on Instagram for like half an hour today. I don't know why. You know what I mean? It just is what it, it, just is, what it is. You just do it. And it just happens. And you realize, shit, I've been in for only for half an hour. It just happens. Anyway, I'm just saying... That's what's going to happen. Charlie Dimes called it. Um, okay? Just so you know. Book it. Continuing on. Quote. The, f- uh, the idea that this stuff could actually get smarter than people, a few people believe that, he says. But most people thought it uh, was way off. And I thought it was way off. I thought it was 30 to 50 years or even longer away. Obviously, I no longer think that. Unquote. He warned that regulation is required uh, to ensure that companies such as Google and Microsoft do not get locked into a dangerous race. Oh, mate, it's already begun, bruv. It's already begun. Yeah, governments ain't, governments are way too fucking slow. Governments are still trying to get a hold of um, social media and tech companies in general, 
right? You think they're going to get a hold of AI and get any uh, get any policy on that? It's going to be like ten years before they get any policy on that, and bef- and AI is going to where's AI AI going to be in ten years? Fuck no, it's going to be a lot better than one is now. That's for damn sure. Anyway, that dangerous race really begun, bruv. Those companies might already be working on dangerous system in secret, he suggested. There you go. Uh, quote, I don't think they should scale this up more until they have understood whether they can control it, he said. Dr. Hinton is not the first artificial intelligence expert to sound the alarm on the dangerous technologies that may, that they have built. In recent months, two major open letters warned about the profound risk to society and humanity that it poses and were signed by many of the people who had helped create it. Like many others, Dr. Hinton said he had become more concerned about the risks of the technology over the, over the last year. The development of technologies such as OpenAI's ChatGPT and Google's Bard. His uh, view changed when he came to believe that the systems were beginning to behave in ways that were not possible in the human brain. Quote, maybe what is going on in these systems is actually a lot better than what is going on in the brain, he told the New York Times. That is likely to become more, even more true in the years to come as AI companies further refine and train their AI systems. As they do, the systems become more dangerous, he fears. Quote, last quote, look at how it was five years ago and how it is now, he said the technology. Take the difference and propagate it forwards. That's scary. Compare this to something like mobile phones, right? There was a there was a lot of um you know there was a lot of years there where it was just um very uh very very leaps and bounds year on year you know throughout the twenty tens as to say as to 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 narrow it down a bit you know after the iPhone um shit just started kicking off you know what I mean and OpenAI's ChatGPT is the thing is the iPhone at this point right it's the iPhone of AI. It's kicking shit off. Everyone is now on a fucking arms race, basically, for the best AI and adding AI to whatever the fuck they're doing, regardless if it makes sense or not. They just want an AI system, AI system of their own, right? And now that Microsoft has a significant chunk, oh, excuse me, sorry, oh, significant chunk of um, open AI. Hey, man, just arms race, dangerous. Ra- the race has begun already. It's iPhone. Once the iPhone dropped over, I think like, what was it 15 years ago now? I mean, iPhone, what, 14? So there you go, right? <laughs> you know, so, you know, it's been it's been nearly a decade and a half. Since then, look where smartphones have gotten. Look where phones were at that time. The, 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 the most popping phone at that point was like the Motorola Razr. Right, BlackBerry Curve, maybe something like that. BlackBerry, whatever. And then the iPhone came through, and everyone started doing touch screens. Everyone started doing internet browsing of just you know, look at the suit. I'm holding a supercomputer in my hand, basically at this point. I'm holding a Samsung Galaxy S21. That's basically a fucking. This is this is gonna do shit now. It's gonna do crazy shit. You know what I mean? Just think about that evolution and how fast it happened. And now, and now think of AI. Yeah, yeah. We're fucked already, bro. It's already begun. They're they're warning. They they can warn all they want, and you know, um, yeah, all all the power to you. You know, shout shout to the mountaintops. But I'm just saying, it's gonna ring hollow when capitalism has already already has a hard has a hard hand in this. Uh, so yeah, we're fucked basically. So hop into music and uh, this is the aforementioned Cardi Nicole that I was uh, kind of half mentioning uh, before. Um, this is uh, by Rian Jones. Uh, it's called A Male Dominated Team Does Not Reflect Society. Why are only 5% of music producers women? And this is something I've been thinking about for a few years. Um, you know, when I when I do the weekly music roundup on DITD, I, I frequently try and guess the fact that a female producer is involved in a certain project or, you know, releases a certain project. And um, it's few and far between. 
is few and far between. There ain't many that I could possibly name. And I said this in my um, State of the Union essay um, briefly. Um, can you name? Uh, I, 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 I always pose this um, you know, question. Um, can you name, how many, name as many rap, male rappers as you can in like 60 seconds, right? And then name as many female rappers as you can in 120. And I guarantee you, you will have more male than female. You know what I mean? If you're into, if, obviously this is if you're into hip hop. But account that, account that just for, and that's obviously just, you know, female rap, right? That's just females rapping, spitting bars, right? Producers? Ooh, that, that gets exponentially worse. Exponentially worse. And 5% is apparently the percentage here. <clears throat> so let's jump right on this. A good music producer facilitates a studio environment that allows an artist to plunge into the depths of their soul and cleverly shapes the sound of their music. A bad one, meanwhile, can halt a promising career. But in 2023, 70 years on from the dawn of rock and roll, this tremendous power still lies in the hands of an overwhelming majority of men. Women and non-binary people claimed less than 5% of producer and engineer credits across the top 50 stream songs of last year, according to a recent report from Fix the Mix. Day stereotypes have framed producing as the preserve of, of nerdish, knob-twiddling blokes, despite there being ample historic evidence to the contrary. The meticulous and patient work of Susan Rogers is legendary, engineering Prince records at the high of his career when studio sessions could last for days on end. Kate Bush, self-produced Hounds of Love, regularly voted one of the best albums of all time for its arresting sound. Sylvia Massey has worked as an engineer and produced on music uh, from some of the most successful rock acts of all time, including Tool, System of a Down, Skunk and Nancy, and Red Hot Chili Peppers. Eyes including Beyonce, Taylor Swift, Janelle Monet, Alison Goldfrapp, and Grimes are just a few in a long list of women who have production credits on their own albums. Catherine Marks, who produced, uh, co-produced the recent UK number one debut from indie uh, supergroup Boy Genius, and, and has worked in the industry for 17 years, says the lack of diversity is due to a ceiling that inhabit, inhibits progression. Quote, since I started, there have been more women coming through an entry level, but there's no support, she says. There's still a perception issue that impacts their ability to find management and get introduced to decision makers in the industry, unquote. For those who do manage to reach a professional level, a lack of imagination from music executives and eyes when it comes to choosing who to work with results in what producer Marta Salong- Salogni, who has worked with Bjork, MIA, and Bonnie Fair, cause a vicious circle quote it feels safer sometimes for gatekeepers to employ the same people but if women are not being employed they can't build up the credits that they would make sure uh, that would make sure they can be employed unquote you see you see the you, you can see the issues here already i'm not even you know i'm about halfway into the article already you know what i mean at this point or well yeah let's say let's say a let's say a third into the article already and you can already understand why this is why it's so bad because people just don't fucking look for these women and they don't support these women uh it's just it's silly it's frankly quite silly continuing on hiring and championing a new producer who doesn't yet have a robust track record might be seen as risky but as marks put it puts it quote stepping into the studio is always a risk because anything can happen also studio can uh, unquote also, studio trials are commonplace, where artists and producers have a chance to see if they get on before officially working together. Another quote. I know some of the biggest names in the industry who are still having to do that now, she says. I don't see why those opportunities can't go to different people. A&R marketing executive Jane Third, who has worked with self-producing X, including Rina Sawayama, says all female sessions can be less hierarchical. Uh, quote. Women are maybe a bit more open and collaborative. There's more freedom of freedom of expression. They could be feel a bit more flat. Where everyone is contributing equally in comparison to other scenarios I've been in, unquote. Does this lack of equality affect the very sound of pop? It's interesting to consider what Ray's sparsely produced debut might have sounded like if she hadn't exited her major label before it was released and therefore has had less control in the studio. The album hit number two in the UK earlier this year and was widely praised for being eclectic and bold. Her back catalogue of dance-leaning pop hits, produced by men, suggests it sh- could have been quite different. Ultimately, more diversity in the studio will result in more diverse music, as Sal- Salig- uh, Salogni says, 
Uh, a male-dominated team does not reflect how multifaceted society is. What might more diversity in production uh, in sound? What might more diversity in production sound like? I think that's all to discover. Unquote. Having a wider choice of producers to work with will also probably result in fewer female acts being faced with predatory behaviours. Ellie Goulding experienced as a 19-year-old des- desperate to make it. In an interview with The Guardian, she said, My whole career started off with instantly being made to feel like a sexual object and being made to feel vulnerable in those sessions. And there are so many female singers that will hear me saying that and, and say, Yeah, I can relate. Ray sings about a predatory producer on a track, Ice Cream Man. Trying to touch me, trying to fuck me. I'm not playing. I should have left that place as soon as I walked in it. Producer Catherine Ann Davies, who also performs as the anchoress, uh, says she gets a lot of her work from women who haven't had positive experiences in the studio and are looking for a different dynamic. Quote, I don't think women who produce have a different sound, but I do think it impacts on the psychology of a space, she says. A big part of your role as a producer is essentially being a therapist which is all about getting everyone to feel comfortable enough to open yourself up completely. She cites research by a master's student she has supervised that look that looking at uh, accessing, quote, accessing vulnerability and how that changed depending on if they were in co-writing sessions with men or women and having what they call keep your shoes on moments uh, in the studio in case you need to leave suddenly because something dodgy happens. If a male producer behaves inappropriately or in an overbearing way, or if that has happened to an artist in the past, like the quote is going to have an impact on the music creator because you don't feel comfortable enough to be vulnerable. There is evidence of change. Women currently make up 18% of members at the Music Producers Guild, up from 5% in 2016. And this board has three women directors out of five. Uh, technology has also somewhat leveled the field, especially for producers with parenting responsibilities who have difficulty committing to the long hours expected in studios billing by the day. Marks, who doesn't have children, says she's uh, says she's off in the studio until 10pm and feels that she's made personal sacrifices for work. This will also play a role in a num- rising number of self-producing acts. Pink Panthers gained traction after posting clips of songs she had recorded herself in her university dorm room on TikTok. And Griff secured, did, secured, did, <laughs> secured a record deal after sharing her self-produced songs online. It remains to be seen whether they'll also produce for others, as male eyes often do, such as Joel Corey, Muramasa, and digital farm animals in the dance pop field alone. The major labels have uh, and music publishers point to various initiatives, panel talks and masterclasses for female engineers and producers, research reports, campaigns, non-profit initiatives, all-female songwriting camps, and deals to sell producing female acts. Still, Laura Lewis-Paul, who heads up non-profit music tech initiative Saffron, uh, which last year had 178 women graduate through its music tech courses for beginners, out of 645 applicants, would like to see uh, greater collaboration between the music industry initiatives like hers, which has recently lost its funding. Quote, At the moment, people are very willing to talk and discuss the issues, uh, but they're not necessarily necessarily looking at how to make changes. Unquote. Lewis Paul says that upon leaving the course, graduates, quote, are faced with an industry or an educational setting that isn't necessarily ready for them. They feel like they don't belong in that space, unquote. This could be especially true for those who are ethnically diverse. 0.7% of production credits went to women of colour across 1,100 popular songs from 2012 to 2022, according to research from the Annenberg Inclusion Initiative. Big up the USC Annenberg. Uh, in the US, uh, Lewis Paul continues, quote, We need to look at the journeys, at their journeys and how to create opportunity for them with strategic partners, unquote. For Mark, support from power players in the music business for new producers is crucial. Quote, I've had a lot of support. I got management quite early on and I had the support of mentors who were very well known uh, and successful in the industry who were championing me. We need more of those kinds of people. This isn't about a lack of women being interested, willing to work hard or having the right kind of personality to work in this industry. It's about encouraging them all to come through. Unquote. So yeah, it's um, it's just a matter of um, activity, right? That's that's kind of all it is. Is say it's a matter of need and want to, like they need to, the industry needs to actually, you know, be active about it, and hopefully, you know, these um, these artists slash producers, you know, slash um education bodies, I guess, um, 
as long as they keep doing their things and and obviously for the likes of Saffron find funding, um, then it will continue to grow. But it needs activity from not just women, not but men as well, and that's what's necessary. Um, there's you know I'm, I shout always uh, someone like uh, Kay Young who uh, was doing beats in her bedroom a few years ago, and she just released her third EP, and it's amazing. Um, you know, there's there's people like that that just uh, you know that 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 just get the opportunity that just get that that just get that leg up, and that's all they need, man. That's all they need. They just need a couple of doors. You know, what I mean, that's all they need, and they'll walk through them. Trust me, they'll walk through them. But you need to give them the doors. If you don't give them the doors, they're just gonna they're just gonna be part of a larger statistic, or, or well, part of a lesser statistic in some fashion um, of just bad representation it's uh it's, yeah it's getting better but obviously always more needs for improvement okay so we finish off on a piece dedicated to a new documentary that um, I think it's already dropped um, in America anyway. It's a docu-series um, by, by FX. Um, so hopefully it comes around here at some point because I would very much love to uh, give this a spin. Um, it's simply called Dear Mama, The Saga of Afini and Tupac Shakur. Um, it's a five-part docu-series directed by Alan Hughes. Um, and yeah, as I found this article beta just talking about it reviewing it i don't really know uh, commentary on it let's just say um this is via justin tinsley um from anscape and it's called dear mama is tupac in a feature calls beautiful tragic opus so let's jump right in a feature core and her song tupac Shakur live nearly thirty-five thousand days combined and very few of those days seem to have brought either one of them real peace in dear mama the cycle of afini Shakur uh and to afini and tupac Shakur, fx is spawning new five-part series directed by Alan Hughes. We get a look at the trials and triumphs of the mother-son duo who fought against racial systems, cops, their own demons and rivals for the majority of their lives. Quote, I think my mother knew that freedom wouldn't come in her, in her lifetime, Shakur says in the series, which includes photos and archival footage. Just like I know they won't come in mine. That's deep. Difficulty of telling Tupac and Afin Shakur's story wasn't lost on Hughes. Shakur, a quarter century after his murder, is a folk hero whose life has been immortalised on film for years. How could Hughes tell a story that many and many believed they already knew everything about? Quote, it was really challenging and difficult to figure out a way to tell their stories in a different dynamic way. I don't feel like Afini has been chronicled, Hughes said. So that part I knew would be a revelation. And that would be the access point and the prism to see the whole journey through. I felt that the perception was there, was that there were too many Tupac things out. So I had to fight that perception and seeing through Afini's journey was the way to do that. Unquote. Dear Mama is a comprehensive, uncomfortable, frustrating, emotional, and necessary examination of the legacies of both Tupac and Afini Shakur. In part, that's because it's more than a standard birth-to-death retelling of their story. There were notable figures in every significant discourse regarding the treatment of black people in America since the Civil Rights Movement. The Black Panther Party, Women's Liberation, the War on Drugs, and Poverty and the rise in hip-hop. Social, cultural, and political is everything, so if you're not contextualised in that way, then you're not doing your job, said Hughes. So you could see that in Afini's journey, you could see that in Tupac. Where where was she in the timeline of just black people in America? And then, to that end, Tupac, you have to ask those same questions. People take the story into into their heart in a more fuller way when you take them on a journey that's that that colourful journey. Afini, Tupac, Shakur were from two different generations of black freedom fighters, and many times their own worst enemies. But mother and son inherited the same war, and going to war on however many fronts was the family business. Surviving was never the point of the mission. Changing the world as much as they could was the goal. Hughes and his brother Albert are figures in Shakur's narrative, the two directed many of his earliest videos, including Trapped and Brenda's Got a Baby. They also made the difficult choice to remove Shakur from the 1993 film Menace to Society. This decision decision led to Hughes getting jumped that same year by Shakur and members of his entourage. Shakur not only boasted about the event on Yo! MTV Raps, but also served jail time for it. 
It's taken Hughes almost a lifetime to com- come to peace with the moment and how it not only changed his life and career, but also his cause, all of which is discussed in the series. It is unfair to reduce, reduce both Shakur and Hughes to their darkest moments together, though. Back then, Hughes didn't focus on the altercation. He had too much else going on. Minister Society was headed to the Cannes Film Festival. The soundtrack was receiving rave reviews. Over time, the altercation became a thing of the past. Shakur, a simultaneous supernova, moving tragedy, was killed in 1996. In 2013, Hughes went on sway in the morning and gave a blow-by-blow account of the altercation. But even that accounting, excuse me, he noted, lacked context. It wasn't until his work on the 2017 documentary The Defiant Ones where he really began to unlock his true emotions. Dear Mama helped him sort through them even more. Uh, quote, The real healing and cathartic experience didn't happen until I made this. And it wasn't overnight, and it wasn't like a year ago. Uh, it was just the last few weeks, he said. I hope there's more of these. I hope there's more people telling stories they were uh, in, and maybe it seems odd, as long as you open your heart up and you're willing to take the bullets too, which I am. Then something magical can potentially happen about uncovering what wasn't uncovered initially, unquote. I mean, that's kind of a slippery slope, right? Um, I feel like there's not many people that will um, be someone like Hughes in this context and tackle the subject um, that they were involved in in some fashion, but obviously not fully. he could have been a complete dick about it. He could have, you know, made a hit piece on Tupac if he wanted to, right? Um, he could have done this in completely bad faith. And I don't think there are many people that would do it in extremely good faith um, as he's uh, purporting to be in this fashion. Um, so, yeah, I, d- I don't know whether that should be a thing in terms of, you know, people telling stories they were in, in some fashion. Not sure. Um, but I guess case by case basis as, as is most things creatively especially continue on uh, that magic in Dear Mama begins with a bang the first episode opens with the backstory of Shakur's introspective hit record Dear Mama though it was released in 95 the earliest version of the song was recorded in 94 the same year Shakur's star power ballooned following the success of movies like Juice and Poetic Justice which paired him up with Janet Jackson Keep Your Head Up and I Get Around, both singles from two packs, uh, from Pac's 93 album, strictly former N-I-G-G-A-Z, added to his growing resume, uh, which also included the titles Activist and Revolutionary. His mother's involvement in the Black Panther Party was the foundation of Shakur's politics and his commitment to the black community, which is why when he saw two white men harassing a black motorist late one night in Atlanta, he intervened. It was Halloween 1993 and Shakur initially attempted to defuse the situation, but when one of the white men hit the black motorist and brandished a gun, things escalated. After grabbing his own gun, Shakur got down on one knee, like a marksman, and shot both men. He later learned they were off-duty police officers. Later that night, as law enforcement surrounded the hotel where he and his entourage were staying, Shakur attempted to quell a panicked room by playing a song he just recorded. That song was Dear Mama. The series smartly juxtaposes the peaks and valleys of mother and son's lives uh, with the complexities of America. With the gift of hindsight a quarter century after Shakur's death and nearly seven years after Afini's, it could be said that America hurt Afini. Afini hurt Tupac. Society tried to suffocate Tupac, and in turn, Shakur's energy often missed its mark. Quote, part of Alan wanting to really do this piece was about healing, was about honesty, it was about all of us looking at what happened. Leila Steinberg, Shakur's first manager, told SiriusXM's uh, The Last Mile Radio last month, I'm just saying this to say he's done an incredible piece. I'm in my 60s now. We really blew it. We made a lot of mistakes. Tupac was not always right. Matter of fact, he was so passionate and so emotional and often so, emo- often, so often not emotionally literate, not able to control his emotions. So he let his anger speak first and then later he would apologise or acknowledge things. So if we were going to heal, we have to be honest, unquote. Tupac and Afini Shakur's lives, uh, stories can be told individually, and they have been. Yet, as Dear Mama reveals, it's more effective to weave them together. In 71, Afini Shakur successfully defended herself in the Panther 21 trial, in which 21 members of the Black Panther Party were charged with conspiring to attack numerous targets around New York City. A month later, Shakur was born. Dear Mama also shares Shakur's last words after being shot in Las Vegas. He allegedly told a cop, fuck you. The sexism Afini Shakur faced inside the Black Panther Party, her eventual crack addiction, and the pain and fracture it caused on her and her son. Though he only lived 25 years, Shakur's life felt longer. 
He never allowed himself to slow down. He wanted to change the trajectory of his life by controlling the only thing he believed he could, the present. Part of that came from how he grew up with his mother, who often left him while she advocated for black liberation. Later, he continued to live in the moment as her addiction crippled her and their relationship. Ultimately, Shakur saw the world like his mother saw it, as an ugly canvas that could only be painted with the brushes with brushes of revolution and resistance. Perhaps what Dear Mama does best is show how much their relationship bent and stretched, but never broke. You come to understand why Shakur was angry at society over the treatment of his mother and so many other quote-unquote fallen soldiers. Quote, what about all these other soldiers sitting in jail? Where are they kids at? Don't none of you motherfuckers give a fuck about them. Shakur raged at 1993 Black Expo in Indiana. Little Latasha Harlan's got a bullet in, in her motherfucking back and ain't not one of you do a motherfucking thing. Unquote. I was, I, was, I was hesitant to do the not a bit, but I think I did right. You come to understand why, in moments of stress, he once shot up a Mercedes-Benz. No one was in it. You'll ask yourself why he could defend the black man getting harassed by cops, but didn't do more to defend Diana Jackson in the night, the night of her sexual assault, a regret that would follow Shakur for the rest, of, the rest of his life. You also understand why Shakur's delusions became his reality. Like why he believed his former friend, Tori's B.I.G., set him up in the 1994 Quad Studio shooting. Or why he felt the need to exact, attack the uh, Southside Crip Orlando Anderson shortly after the Mike Tyson-Bruce Seldon fight in September 96, a move that many speculate led directly to his demise. He was never mad. He was never mad as his. Uh, he was never as mad at his mother as he much as he was angry at the world. In Dear Mama, you learn how far off uh, course Afini Shakur's life went until her son helped her get back on track. And you understand how much they needed each other. Shakur's life became more chaotic as his time in the public light grew. The pain in Afini Shakur's voice when she talks about just how much she wanted to protect her son is palpable. You feel the haziness that still comes with discussing Shakur's decision to join Death Row Records and why, even to this day, many are angry at those who didn't do enough to protect Shakur from himself and there's a familiar sense of loyalty when Shakur speaks about his mother, despite their trials. In many ways, all they had was one, was each one, each another. It's a weird way of wording it, each another. During Shakur's dark nights in a maximum security penitentiary for sexual assault, the stories of his mother and her fight provided light in the darkest chapter of his life. The fight is a critical through line for Dear Mama. But at its core, uh, the series is about a mother trying to figure out how to be the best mother she can be, and a son trying to figure out how to be the best son. So when his mother checked out of rehab, Shakur hired her as his publicist. Experience be damned. And when Shakur, uh, with a lung removed and his finger shot off, uh, fought for his life in Las Vegas hospital, his mother ultimately decided to let her son discover if heaven indeed had a ghetto. Quote, The only other person I can compare it to is when you read a biography on Richard Pryor and you go, Wow, one week in this dude's life was like a year, said Hughes. Literally, that's how they led their lives. So when people feel like his story's been told, I'm sure you can, for the next hundred years, tell many Tupac stories, and they'll all be fresh. Unquote. So yeah, that was um, that was a very, that was a very enlightening piece. Justin Tinsley has a shout out to him, man. He has a really good way of um, uh, emotionalizing uh text, um. When he talks, I think he'll admit this um, on stuff like uh, when he's on like, around the horn or whatever, or just um, talking in general. Um, he's he he tends to like has this um, you know let's say stochastic um, way of talking, and he can't and, and he, he he's talking like that. He, he has that little stutter thing going on. Uh, I don't know if it's actually a stutter or anything, but um, he's but when he when it's on paper, when it's written on paper, <laughs> when it's written down, when it's in text. The flow of his writing is just so so much different from when he's talking. It's crazy. Um, uh, not to say when he's talking, he says you know crap, right? But he says good stuff when he's talking. But when he when he puts it down on text, is so it's got it's got it's got great emotion in it. Um, he's got great emotion in his writing, so I respect that. Um, but yeah, man, I really want to see this. I'm I'm genuinely want to see this. Um, I rarely watch many you know two pack docs. I didn't watch the one a few years ago with Tupac and Biggie. I didn't watch that. I haven't watched many, to be honest. Um, 
but I'm I'm down to watch this. I've always been fascinated by you know Athena Shakur um, as a motherhood figure um, to Tupac, and I uh, feel like that'll be a very fascinating story to tell. And I'm really glad uh, Hughes has uh, done this uh, done this project and has taken on with hopefully good faith um, as he purports to be. Um, but yeah, with that said, ladies and gentlemen, we shall leave it there. From the 5th End Podcast Network, I've been Charlie Taylor. This has been What's Good. Intro music was Too Much by Vanilla. Thanks to Joel Music for the bit of use. Uh, Interlude music was Charismatic by Nappy Hi- Friend of 5 Nappy Hire. Thanks for the ability to use again. And his link is also in the full show notes, um, as is Joel Music. And uh, with that said, I hope you all have a good week. I should always try and do the same. But until next time, take it easy, ladies and gentlemen.